0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the church. And if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those or turn those on and open those up. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8 today, John chapter 8. We've been going through this series entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? And it comes out of Matthew 16, where Jesus asks his disciples the question, Who do you you say I am? And Jesus, throughout the book of John, makes several I am statements about himself. And when we get into John chapter 8, we see that early in the morning, Jesus, he comes to the temple to teach. And he does this regularly, so people are gathering around and people are there, and as he's sitting down and as he's teaching, the religious leaders of the day, it says that they bring in a woman. Now, this woman had been recently caught in the act of adultery, and so the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're wanting to trap Jesus because these these guys, I'm telling you, they've worked their entire life to put on this display that they are godly or godlike, and they've worked, and they've worked, and they worked. And Jesus comes, and he pushes back against their works-based righteousness and says, no, 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 it is only faith in the Christ. It's only faith in the Messiah. It's only faith in me that makes you right before God. And so the Pharisees and Jesus, they always went back and forth. And so they brought in this woman trying to trap him, trying to chick him. They bring her in, covered in shame and guilt. And they say, Jesus, you know... The law of Moses says that we have the right to stone her, to kill her by hitting her with rocks. And so they ask Jesus, what do you say? What do you say we should do with her? And Jesus just simply bends down and starts writing on the ground. It starts writing on the ground. So much so that it gets a little awkward. Because they keep asking. Well, Jesus, speak up. What should we do? She's guilty. She's been caught in adultery. The law says that we should hit her with these rocks. He's just writing. They keep asking. My guess is that she's standing there in her shame, probably barely covered up, maybe holding her face, maybe hoping that the first rock that's thrown hits her in the head, maybe knocks her out so she doesn't feel the rest of the blows. She's just standing there. And Jesus finally, after a few moments, he stands up. He says, okay, let he who has never sinned, you go ahead and you throw the first stone. And then immediately he goes back down and starts riding on the ground. After a few moments, I can just imagine that you hear thud, thud, thud. One by one, the rocks hitting the ground. The Bible says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, every person left except one. There was one that still remained. Verse 9, it says that the woman was standing before him. Jesus was still there. Jesus was the only one left. Jesus was the only one who had never sinned. And Jesus was there and he was on the ground. Now listen, every time I get this picture, every time I read this story in, in my head, I had always pictured the woman being on the ground and Jesus standing over her. But this tells us that Jesus was on the ground and the woman was standing before him. And I don't know, I don't know why I was thinking about it this week. I don't know why that gets me. I don't know that, why, why in my heart, I don't know what to do with that image. That Jesus is, is right before her feet and she's just standing there covered in guilt and shame. Maybe, maybe it's because that, that every time I read the story, deep down, I know that she's me. Every time I read the story, I know that, that there's days that I've cheated on God. That there's days I've turned my back on him. There's days that I've pursued other lovers besides him. That there's days that I've lusted after things that are not mine. That God says, no, I'm better than that. I don't know why this gets me so much. Maybe it's because I know that, that if you were to really take my life apart and you were to, to take all my thoughts and all my actions and all my deeds and all my, my secret sin and you would be going to put it up on the screen like a movie that I would be standing before you covered in shame, that I, like this woman, would deserve the rocks. And and here's here's this guilty sinner. Like in one moment, she is surrounded by accusers, and the next moment, she's alone in her shame with Jesus at her feet. Probably tears dripping down upon him. Now, Now, don't miss this. Because Jesus is the only one without sin. And in verse 10, it says that Jesus stands up. I can only imagine that he would maybe lift her head. His hands maybe maybe look in her eyes. And with a the most tender voice he would say to her, where are they? Where are your accusers? Jesus, standing before her, because he had never sinned, he would have every right to stand up with a rock in his hand. Every right. But John tells us That he looks at her and says, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I. Neither do I go and sin no more. How can Jesus do that? You see, Jesus, Jesus is the only one who is without sin. He is the only perfect and righteous one which means he's the only one that could take the blows for her. And he knew there was coming a day very soon that he would be beaten in her place, that he would be beaten in your place, that he would be beaten in my place, that he would hang upon the cross for the sins of the world, knowing that she can escape the blows because he was about to take the blows upon himself. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I want to point out the fact that this woman, overwhelmed in guilt, overwhelmed in shame, listen, she didn't confess her sin. She, she, she was caught in the act. Are you following me with that? She was caught in the act, which means, which means she didn't just simply commit adultery, go home and feel bad about it and say, Oh no, what did I do? I need to call the priest. Oh no, I need to call my accountability partner. Oh no, th- this is just making me sick. I need to make penance here. That's not what happened. She was caught in the act. She was busted. So she's ashamed. She comes before Jesus. She doesn't even say she's sorry, yet she has extended grace. And mercy from Jesus. You see, Jesus takes not only our sin and the punishment for sin and the wrath of God towards sin, but in the end, He gives us grace and mercy. He gives us His righteousness. Grace, it's it's receiving a gift that we don't deserve, and mercy is not receiving a punishment that we do. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took all the wrath of God and he gives us grace and he gives us mercy. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought like why God would do that? Why Jesus would do that? The Bible says it's because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know that verse. It's John three sixteen is probably one of the most popular verses in the church. It's probably the most popular verse in the world. But listen, that God would send His Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But listen, listen to the next verses. That God loved the world so much that he would sacrifice, he would give his only son so whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his taking upon the wrath that you and I deserve. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to shake his finger at you. He didn't come to hit you. He came to save you. Well, how's that? Look, look, he says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Everyone say already. already. He is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now you have to understand that, 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 that there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. It says that the world was actually condemned already. You need to understand that this guilty sinning woman, this adulteress, that's you and that's me because the Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. We're all guilty. Now, now follow me, because Jesus, the Bible just said that Jesus didn't come to a neutral world where some people in their neutrality moved to anti-Jesus, and other people in their neutrality moved to pro-Jesus. That's not what it says. It says that we were guilty already. We were condemned already. We were already condemned. Listen, when it comes to Jesus, there is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. There there was never neutrality. There is no neutrality. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Listen, we all deserve the rocks. Jesus came to sit under God's wrath in your place because every one of us are condemned already. Now, whether or not we stay condemned, whether or not we stay in our condemnation, depends on how we respond to Jesus when he asks, but who do you say that I am? Whether or not we stay that way will depend on how we respond to Jesus. We have to do something with Jesus. Jesus did not come to make neutral people Jesus people. Jesus came to make the guilty not guilty. Jesus came to make the condemned not condemned. He came to make the eternally dead people eternally alive people. Because we're all dead in our sins. God doesn't owe anyone mercy. God doesn't owe anyone life. But Jesus came to offer both mercy and life. Some people say, hey, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Listen, how can a just God allow any of us in heaven? We're all condemned before Jesus. And so all of us are undeserving of his grace, yet we are in desperate, desperate need of it. We are in need of it. And it brings us to John chapter 8. This is where Jesus makes an I am statement about himself, and it leads to an argument that lasts an entire chapter. One statement. Jesus makes such a bold statement about himself that the entire John chapter 8 chapter is full of people arguing with Jesus about what Jesus says about himself. You with me on that? The entire chapter is an argument. Now, look, look at the statement that Jesus makes. It says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, this is verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, everyone say follow me. Follow me. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, everyone say have, yeah. have the light of Now, following Jesus is more than just simply tagging along behind him. Following Jesus means joining yourself to him. And notice that in verse 12, it says that when you follow him, you will have something. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will have the light of life. You will have me. So you follow me, you have me. You will not walk in darkness. You will actually get me. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He says, You follow me. I am the light of the world. You will have me, the light of life. Look at what it says. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have The light of life. So the Pharisees, the the most religious people on the planet, they say to him, Jesus, are you bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. Now watch how Jesus answers. Well, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. And the father who sent me bears witness about me. That's two testimonies, myself and God. 19, and they said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Listen, the life that Jesus graciously gives those who believe And follow him is the ability to see the light. These guys, the Pharisees, very religious, work very hard at keeping their their status before God up. Yet they're blind. They don't see it. They don't see him. The Bible says that we were born dead, that we were born blind to the light. So until the life of Jesus is gifted to us by God's spirit, only then can we see. He wants us to see. He says, I'm the light of the world. I want you to see. He says, listen, dead people don't see. Dead people are blind. Can't see if you're dead. Dead. It's why, it's why Jesus comes to the most religious man on the planet and says, you must be born again, because unless you're born again, you can't see. That's what it says in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why we always ask God, God, open our hearts, open our eyes. There is a scene that goes beyond these. There is an understanding that goes beyond this. There is, a, there is a feeling, there is a soul that says, hey, there's more to just simply what I see. And these Pharisees are arguing Jesus because Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Don't you see me and the father are one? Don't you see I work on behalf of the father? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so we must be born again. Listen, being religious does not allow you to see the light. Doing works for God does not allow you to see the light. You need to be born again in order to see Jesus. You must be born again because only when we're born again are our eyes open. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, I am the light? Well, first of all, I think he means that, that the world has no other light other than Jesus. You with me on that? He says, I am the light of the world, which means there's no other light. I'm the light. I'm the only light. I'm the light of the world, which means that if Jesus is the light of the world, either you have Jesus or you're in darkness. Either you're in Jesus, in the light, or you're in darkness. There is no no middle. Either the light is on or the light is off. You with me on that? So, So Jesus says, I am the light, and all the world needs him. That's what he's saying. All the world needs Jesus' light because Jesus is the light of the world. He was the light of the world in the beginning when God said, let there be light, and he will be the light of the world in the end. When everything else will pass away, there's coming a day where the world will be filled with his light. The Bible says like the waters cover the sea, cover the earth, where all darkness and all works of darkness and all sons of darkness, all the darkness will be cast out. And listen, on that day, there will be only light. Light. It's why in John 8, verse 24, Jesus says that you will die in your sins unless you believe I am he. That's a bold statement. Don't you see how there's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus? He says you're going to die in your sins unless you believe that I'm he. I am the only light. I am the only way. Jesus says I am the light of the world. And so it starts this this supernatural debate. I say, Jesus, how can you say that about yourself? How can you say that that's your testimony that you are the light of the world, that you are the, the light of life? Jesus says, Well, here's, here's why I can say it. One, because I come from the Father. I've come from the Father. I speak for the Father. I'm going to the Father, and I am one with the Father. That's what he says. He says, I can say that because I'm one with the Father. Jesus says, if you knew me, you would know the Father. Verse 38, Jesus says, and I only do what the Father tells me to do. But he says, but you, you do what you hear from your Father. Your Father. It's a weird statement. I do what my Father God tells me to do. God sent me here. I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. Everything I say, everything I do, it comes from God. Because if you knew me, you would know the Father. Me and God, we're one. That's what he says. He says, I do the works of my Father, but you do the works of your Father. And you know what they say? They say, oh, Abraham is our father. Father Abraham. Many sons. They sing that. that Abraham is our father. Well, What they mean by that is that they were born Jews. They were born in the line. They were born under this religious denomination that says, we're in. Of course we know the father. We're chosen by God. We have God's blessing. We are God's people. And Jesus actually comes back and he says in the argument, he says, actually, Abraham's not your father. If Abraham was your father, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. Abraham's not your father. If if he was, you would be doing God's work. But you're not doing God's work. You're actually doing your father's work. I keep saying that. (laughs) Verse 42, Jesus says, "If, if God were your father, you would love me. You would see me for I came from God and I'm here. Jesus says the reason they cannot accept the truth is because their father is the devil. He says, you don't know me, which means you don't know the father. And if you don't know the father, then, then, then you're dead. You're condemned already, just like your father, the devil. That's what he says. He says, the reason you don't see the truth, the reason you can't hear the truth is because you're dead and you're blind and you don't know God. That's an argument right there, isn't it? Jesus tells the most religious people on the planet that if you don't have the light of life, if you don't have me outside of me, you can't see, you can't hear, and you can't follow God. Now imagine the people who have devoted all of their life and all of their energy to being hyper-religious people who have been working and striving to follow God their whole life. And Jesus looks at them and says, actually, outside of me, outside of me, you can't follow God because you can't hear his voice and you can't see him. You don't know him. I am the light of the world. Do you see how that one statement causes so much controversy? That's a bold statement. I am the light of the world. Verse 51, I tell you the truth. If anyone would keep my word, he will never see me death and the Jews they lose it what <laughs> this dude he's got to have a demon listen listen that's a that's a that's a great assumption i mean because it's not middle ground it's not like oh this guy's a pretty good teacher no either he's the messiah or this guy's this guy's crazy he's got to have a demon What what you're saying is that you you can overcome death? Is that what you're saying? That's what they said to Jesus. They They say, don't you know Abraham died? The prophets died, but you say you can defeat death? They say, who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? And Jesus says, yeah, I am. I am. Jesus looks at them and says, I am. He actually says, yeah, I'm telling the truth. I'm not a liar like you. I would love to see that. He's like, I only tell the truth. I'm I'm not a liar like you, and your father's a liar, and so I'm not a liar like you. I know the father. And actually, Abraham has seen my glory, and he liked it. He's seen, verse 58, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. That's the name that God gives himself in the wilderness when he's talking to Moses, you remember that? Moses is like, hey, hey I'm gonna go uh, tell Pharaoh to let the people go, but who should I say, told me, the bush? No, tell him, I am, sent you. And Jesus uses the same name for himself. Oh, actually, before Abraham was, yeah, I was there. I've always been. I am the light of the world. You just can't see me. As soon as he says that before Abraham was, I am, the Bible says that they pick up rocks to stone him. But then the next verse says he hid and got away. (laughs) pick up rocks to stone him. Listen, by the way, that's how you know you win an argument. (laughs) Hear me, this is an extraordinary claim. You've got to do something with this. Each one of us, we have to do something with Jesus. We have to give an account on what we truly believe about Jesus. Meaning, when you begin to look at Jesus's life, and you begin to look at the claims that he makes, there really is no middle ground either he is he is we receive him as lord and savior and messiah or we reject him as a flat out liar he can't be just a good man that teaches good things because you know what he teaches you know what he taught people i'm the light of the world outside of me you're in darkness either he's the lord or he's the liar but hear me jesus he doesn't just want to simply tell us that he's the light of the world. He wants to show us. Look in John chapter 9. You just witnessed a miracle, by the way. I preached all of John chapter 8 in about 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) John chapter 9. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind. From birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but he was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That is a powerful verse. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. Verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying these things, he made some mud on the ground and he put it on the man's eyes and he was healed. He was healed. This man, like many of you, not a stranger to pain. Some of you, you've maybe grown up in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. I don't know your background. I don't know your household. But you've experienced some suffering like this man. You've experienced some sorrow. And this man on this morning, he gets up, and he goes to wherever it is that he's going to sit for that day it's probably the same spot that he sits every day maybe it's by a gate maybe it's by a wall maybe it's it's where people are passing by so maybe he can get a handout or something i don't know how old he is but it says that he was born blind which means he's never seen the sun he's never seen it rise he's never seen the colors of the sky when it sets He's never seen uh, the rainbow when the sun shines on the rain droplets. He's never seen a bird soar in the sky. He's never stood on a, on a cliff and looked out at God's creation. He's never seen that. And so he probably wakes up this morning like he did every other morning, and he just simply goes and sits in the spot that he always sits, probably not thinking that today something was going to change his life. And like many of you, you maybe come in here and you just come in and do your weekly routine and you do the same thing that you always do and you sit in the same spot that you always did. But today, you didn't realize that God wanted to open your eyes. Amen. That God wants to heal you and bring you out of darkness. Maybe, maybe you're here and you just have very little hope that anything can really change in your life. And like many of you, You've come in this morning, but, but this man like you wants needs Jesus. This man has been blind from birth, but on this day, Jesus goes to this man who has been suffering, and he finds him hopeless, and in one sentence, Jesus brings purpose to his heartache. Have you ever asked Jesus, why? Why has this happened to me? Why why, why why? me? How come my life is like this and her life is like that? How come my life is like this and, 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 and his life, he gets the promotion, he gets the deal. How come he gets the good stuff? How come, how come I'm here and they're over there? How come why me? And in one sentence, Jesus, he wants to come and he wants to give purpose to your heartache. Look at verse 3 again. He says, it is not this man's sin or his parents. But this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed. He, in other words, he says, This man was born blind so that I could prove to you I am the light of the world. So I could prove so so he says that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus gives purpose to what this man has gone through. And today, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know what you've gone through when you walked in here, but Jesus wants to give purpose to your life. He wants to give purpose to your suffering. Listen, maybe, maybe you've suffered after years of going to church or, or not going to church or years of thinking, man, I'm never going to escape this darkness. Maybe after years of just simply being blind, Years of hurt and pain, Jesus says, the only reason that things are the way they are is because I don't want to just simply proclaim, I'm the light of the world. I want to prove myself as the light of your world. Your world. If you're taking notes, the whole thing comes down to this. You can write this one down. Jesus wants to prove himself as the light of your world. Jesus wants us to know the depths of his power and how his life and how his light has the ability to remove all darkness. And the truth is that all of us have been born blind, unable to see, unable to really grasp the beauties of Jesus until that moment that we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. In the beginning void and darkness. <clears throat> and out of the void and out of the darkness, God says, let there be light. Let there be light. In the same way, God wants to come to you this morning. And in your blindness and in your deadness and in your darkness, he wants to say to your heart, let there be light. Let the light of God shine. Let the glory of God shine so that we would be able to see the face of Jesus for who he is. Today, Jesus, we need him to say to my heart, I need him to say to your heart, I want him to say to your heart, let there be light. Open up my blind eyes so that I would see you, Jesus. Now hear me, because the one reason that the Bible says that Jesus healed him. The reason why he opened his blind eyes was not so that he could just simply sit back and enjoy life. It was not so that he could sit there and say, wow, look at that sunset. Look look at that. Look at that sunrise. Look at those, look at those eagles soar. Look at that. Now, listen, he's going to see the sunrise differently than he's ever had in his entire life because of Jesus. When Jesus is the light of your world, you begin to see the world completely different than you did before. You see this, you're like, but listen, the reason why Jesus healed this blind man is because he knows that he needed the blind man to see Jesus more clearly. Look, see me. Look at me. I am the light of the world. When you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Jesus opens our eyes so that we would see Jesus as glorious, that we would see Jesus as the most beautiful of this world. It's got a lot of beautiful things in it, doesn't it? I think my kids are beautiful. My wife is beautiful. People are beautiful. Landscapes are beautiful. Creation is beautiful beautiful music, beautiful lyrics and poetry and art. This has a whole lot of beauty in it. But Jesus wants to give sight to our blindness so that we would see him as the most beautiful, the most glorious. Because outside of him, there is no light. There is no beauty. The light of the world, Jesus came from heaven And he gave his life, not only for my sins, but for all the rock-carrying, stone-throwing sinners who realize that they too are guilty. We need the light of the world. And Jesus, in this statement, he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, You will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And so the question is, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? That is the question. It is the one question the answer will bring us out of darkness. Is he opening your eyes? Is he opening your heart? Is he bringing you to life this morning so that you would see your life in the world completely different? Let's pray. Oh, God. You see all of our thoughts. You see our actions. You see the lack of our actions. You see us naked, ashamed, guilty before you. Yet your word tells us that you love us. Today, Jesus, in the middle of our suffering... In the middle of our blindness, would you come, O Lord? Right now, right where you're at, will you just ask him to come? Will you come, Lord? Shine your light into my heart. Shine your grace and your mercy into my life. Ask him right now, right where you are, Jesus, come. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see you. Open my eyes. Forgive me, change me, shape me. Jesus, I need you. In the middle of all that is my life, I need you, O oh God, to be the light of my world. Jesus, I pray that you would lead each one of us out of darkness, that you would fill us with purpose, that your glory might be displayed in us, and so that when others look upon us, they would say, that is God. Jesus, we want you more than any other treasure. We want you more than any other beauty. We want you more than anything else. Be our God. In Jesus' name, amen.